Welcome in to the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson. And in this week's episode, I'll be discussing the NFL as we are in week one. I'll be having our Jack's Pack. I'll be ha- and I'll finally be closing with Jack's Hot Take. Now, as always, don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the Just In Time Sports Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow and turn on the post notifications for Just In Time Sports social media on all your favorite social medias, whether that is X, Instagram, Facebook, uh, or TikTok. Follow on all your favorite social medias. Now, as always, don't forget to sit back and get ready to learn something. excited to be back with you guys um recording this late saturday night so you guys are here this sunday morning so so excited to be back with you guys this weekend this nfl weekend um excited to be here it is week one we have made it um man it felt like it was a long time from february um you know the last time we seen a football game it was um a football game that mattered I should say, it was uh, Kansas City completing a Super Bowl comeback against the Eagles, and then it was a long time. Um, we've crowned every world champion in American sports. Um, we have gone through free agency. We've gone through the draft. We've gone through training camp. We've gone through that weird period of the year during preseason where that seventh receiver on everybody's team that we swear is going to make it, or that fifth guard, or that sixth corner that we just know in our minds is going to be the next superstar and never is. Um, we've gotten through all that. We've gotten to the big cut day. We've made it through hard knocks, and we have officially arrived in week one of the NFL season. It's already started. Chiefs and Lions opened up the season, of course, uh, with the defending national champion, offending Super Bowl champion, I'm sorry, watching college football and had a brain cramp. Um... The defending Super Bowl champion opened up the season. They have banner night, very similar in all sports, um, or at least is, is that way in the NBA and the NFL. The defending champion opens up the season. Um, so the NFL has ring night actually before, so I guess there's 53 players. Um, they have a big ring night. The Chiefs do it in, in their in Arrowhead Stadium. They bring the families. They have all the different tables. You come in suited and booted, and you get your ring, and then they drop the banner before the game in the NBA. Because there's only 12 players, or 15 players max, 12 to 15 players, and usually only retain eight of them a year, they give out the rings to the eight players opening night, and then they raise the banner. Um, and so players from other teams customarily, if they aren't playing that night and they were on, on, on the champion, they'll fly in too and get their rings as well um, and get honored. Like I said, the banner gets raised, and then the new season starts. So Chiefs and Lions start off. I, I was contemplating how I was going to attack this game. Whether I was going to just do like one of those recap moments or was I going to pick and choose. Because I feel like anybody can tell you a recap. I feel like anybody you can listen to in sports can tell you what they saw. 
can and by what they saw I me mean, literally the Chiefs scored 20 the Lions scored 21 here's how it happened uh, the touchdowns were this and this um, I thought Pat Mahomes looked bad you know that's basic I literally watched the game kind of stuff I don't want to do that I want to take it a little deeper than that and we all watched the game like I said, we've heard all the content analysis uh, Friday if you guys have watched a Saturday or NFL show Saturday, it was the only game on, so everybody gave an opinion, multiple opinions on it. You know, people were teased, like Nick Wright for picking the Chiefs and all this stuff. It's, you know, we, we've had all the different angles of the game. But I want to take it a little bit deeper, and I want to take it to a different spot. I want to take it to the Chiefs coaching staff, specifically Eric Bieniemy. He's no longer being there. Yes, Travis Kelsey was injured. I understand that. Travis Kelsey was out. But the offensive scheme itself, even if Travis Kelsey was in the game, would have struggled. Now, congratulations, I mean, congratulations to the Lions for putting together a pretty good defensive plan, although the Chiefs kind of gave it to him. Like I said, no Travis Kelsey for one. Then Kadarius, Cone, Kadarius Tony decided to leave his hands wherever his uh, burner, wherever his Twitter fingers were all offseason. Um... Sky Moore as well did not bring his hands to the party. Um, and it's just, it's an interesting scenario when you have a generational quarterback, right? Patrick Mahomes is a generational quarterback as far as raw talent. He's probably the top two, top three level quarterback. Um, you know, probably Aaron Rodgers, him, and, um, Pure arm. Aaron Rodgers and him. Probably got the top two. They probably separate them. So Elway's up there as well. Marino is up there as well. Bradshaw. Um, but they're, they're definitely, you know, to me, Patrick Mahomes is in the top three talented quarterbacks ever. Um, and so we have a guy like him. You have Travis Kelsey, who people, even like Shannon Sharp would say is the greatest tight end of all time. Uh, but he's a top three tight end of all time. You can take schematic liberties with those two. And, the, and they're good enough to win the game. And what I mean by schematic liberty is I don't have to necessarily draw up the world's best play because I have the world's best quarterback and the world's best tight end. So I don't have to be this amazing play designer where Travis Kelsey has to be schemed open and Patrick Mahomes has to have these schemed windows and everything has to be on time and perfect. And it's just, you know, everything has to be together and perfectly amazing because otherwise no one's getting open, etc. When you do have the world's best quarterback, and you do have the world's best tight end, and you do have receivers that, let's be honest, are not traditionally the best receivers, um, you can take those liberties because you can put Scott Moore in a one-on-one situation with a slot corner because Travis Kelsey is going to get double or even tripled uh, in terms of uh, coverage focus. So you can put uh, Kadarius Tony in a one-on-one situation and tell him just to beat the third best corner on the team. You can put Scott Moore in a one-on-one situation and kind of scheme help him a little bit um, because there's uh, a double or a triple team even on Travis Kelsey. But not having Kelsey exposed, not having the enemy. Um, and he announced that something like, oh, this game has asterisks by it because there's no there's no Travis Kelsey and no Chris Jones, which, I mean, the, the Lions offense only scored 13 points. So I feel like, or 14 points, I feel like Chris Jones not being there was not nearly as big a factor as Travis Kelsey not being there. Because, again, um, I can't even think of who the 
Matt Campbell, I think it is. That's not Matt Campbell. Um, oh, man, the office coordinator for... I can't think of it. Nagy, maybe? But, um, you know, the Chiefs don't have to be perfect with Kelsey in the game because he's going to attract so much attention. They can kind of have awful spacing and awful raw combinations with the rest of them. And because if you single cover Kelsey, he's going to get open. If you double or triple team Kelsey, other guys that have one-on-one opportunities, even with a poor rock combination, they're still NFL receivers. They make a win around by themselves. Um, and so that is something that, uh, you know, the organization is going to have to adjust to, that she's going to adjust to. You know, Travis Kelsey is getting older. There's going to be life after Kelsey. Uh, maybe this is the first game to try and test that uh, lifestyle or uh, reality out because their offense looked horrible. There were several moments there where Patrick had wild people wasn't even looking at the field. Uh, there is moments where the spacing's just awful. I don't even know who Mahomes was throwing the ball to. I mean, it, it, there is just moments of pure, um, poor play. Um, poor, pure, poor uh, schematics uh, coming from the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, but kudos to the Lions, man. They played hard. They played really, really hard. Jared Goff made some throws when he had to make them. Um, the running game went well. They didn't run the ball a ton, but when they needed to, especially from um, their first-round pick, Jameer, they really ran the ball incredibly well. Um, so kudos to them. Like I said, they pressured uh, Mahomes all night, took advantage of the mistakes when they were able to, took advantage of the mistakes when they were pretentious to them, rather, and they were able to... Um, really really work um and get this victory because they had to grind it out um and it could kind of continue that excitement of you know the first sellout at Ford field since the Ford field became in existence um sold in our season tickets so uh that's the kind of support that the program needs um in terms of the lions you know dan campbell's one of those firecracker coaches and he needs all the support and love he can get because the more you pour into him the more he is able to be that firecracker uh, for the Lions uh, team. But leaving uh, that game behind, we're going to shift into some storylines we're looking at um, going into week one. Uh, Mac Jones has a real offensive coordinator this year. You know, he's not have a defensive coordinator in Mac Patricia, cosplaying um, an offensive coordinator. We had the worst schematic, the worst scheme to offense in football last year, and we won eight games. Um, and by we, I mean the Patriots. So I am definitely looking forward to the um, Patriots having a better offensive season this year because they're not dealing with the literally worst offensive coordinator in football because he's the only offensive coordinator that's not an offensive coordinator. Um, and so he was cosplaying the position, and uh, therefore I expect that just the the team to be better in general, but Mac Jones to be a lot better considering he's back with his co- collegiate coach um, that got him to be as high pick as he was, and he's away from Matt Patricia. Um, so congratulations to Mac Jones. I expect him to have a big season. Brock Purdy returns for the San Francisco 49ers. You know, they have moved on, obviously, from Trey Lance, shipping him to the Dallas Cowboys for a fourth-round pick. Um, but Brock Purdy returns to lead the cheapest quarterback room by standard mile. Um, I don't think Brock Purdy's making a million dollars a year yet. Sam Donald signed for the veteran minimum. They have, as far as I know, no one else 
uh, on the roster playing the position. So they have about two and a half, I'm going to call it $3 million tied up in the position of quarterback. So what do you do with that kind of money? You start paying players. Uh, and they end up giving Joey Bosa the biggest contract for a defensive end in NFL history. Uh, five years, $170 million, with a little over 122 of it guaranteed. Uh, and so he is living like a fat cat. He is living a good life. Uh, he is officially activated. They will play him week one. Um, but to me, all eyes should be on Brock Purdy. Um, and I've been one that's been preaching the rhetoric often is the fact that um, Brock Purdy eventually has to turn back into Brock Purdy. Um, and I think it will be like in a playoff game, a game where he needs to continue to overachieve his Mr. Irrelevant status. And he's going to turn into, well, Mr. Irrelevant and turn back into well, Brock Purdy. Um, because I didn't think he was that good at Iowa State. The scouts, the GMs, the coaches didn't think he was that good coming out. He was literally the last pick of the draft on basically a flyer pick um, in the draft. And he ends up, you know, until his elbow exploded, looking like he might lead them into uh, the Super Bowl. But like I said, Purdy is back. I expect a regression this year, um, but he is back. Jordan Love takes over the reins in Green Bay. Um, he tries to become the third person in the succession line of Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Of course, Brett Favre started it out, and then uh, Aaron Rodgers, and now you have Jordan Love. He's out of Nevada. He sat behind Rodgers two, three years. Story very similar to Rodgers. Um, finally, the team got fed up with Rodgers. Just like the team got fed up with Favre, and then they moved into the Jets. Sounds familiar? The Packers quarterbacks have relatively unknowns, have great Hall of Fame careers, play for the Jets. That's pretty much what the last two is doing. Uh, Jordan Love comes in relatively unknown. Uh, if the pack continues, great Hall time, all-time career with one Super Bowl, and then quietly going to the Hall of Fame. Um, and so that's pretty much Jordan Love in a nutshell, what he's facing. Now, he does not have a Devontae Adams. He does not have a Donald Driver. He does not have one of these elite, um, all-time level wide receivers to throw the ball to. He does not. But he does have Aaron Jones on a pretty good offensive line to kind of protect him uh, early until he gets his confidence and starts letting the ball go. But I am very excited to see Jordan Love. Uh, the rookies. The rookies are debuting. The rookie quarterbacks, the big three, are debuting. Uh, number one overall pick, Bryce Young. His leads the Carolina Panthers against the Atlanta Falcons. Um Number two or three, I can't remember, but he's had back to back. But number two or three overall pick, C.J. Stroud. Um, he leads his Houston Texans against the Baltimore Ravens, who no longer have Mark Andrews, or who's expected to not have Mark Andrews, I should say. Man, Anthony Richardson, I believe, went five. He's leading his Indianapolis Colts against the Prince that was promised and um, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, this is... Always opening weeks always very intriguing to me for rookie quarterbacks because I don't expect any of them to win. I don't expect any of them to play well, but I do expect to see signs and traits. Um, you know, stuff like ball placement, driving, um, you know, decision making, um, aptitude with the offense, diversification of the offense, 
these are things that I um, am looking forward to seeing uh, from all three of these quarterbacks, maybe down the line. You know, Richardson's offense may look way different than Stroud's offense, which may look way different than Young's offense. So I will wait and see uh, how these guys perform before we pass our judgment. Now, I do think that Richardson is an absolute bust. I don't necessarily believe in um, Young as a long-term option, given how small he is. Um, and Stroud is in a very interesting position in Houston. Um, so there is going to be um, a lot of commentary on these guys. I'll be watching them incredibly closely. Aaron Rodgers rounds out the uh, week one with a Monday night game versus the Buffalo Bills. Um, they and the Bills have been going back and forth um, in terms of social media and taking little shots at each other um, during this the course of interviews or whatever. So that is going to be an incredibly interesting game between Rodgers and the Bills. Um, I expect the Bills to. My bad, that's my sound of stopping myself. I expect the Bills to win that game. Um, I don't expect the Jets start off well at all. If you listen to my prediction, I got the Jets starting off like one and six. Um, I don't enjoy their season schedule at all. I don't like the connection or attempt that connection that Aaron Rodgers is doing. Uh, I'm just not a huge fan and not seeing a bunch of support, honestly, from his teammates. So we will definitely uh, keep our eye on that game. Um, I just think Josh Allen is going to do a little bit more than Aaron Rodgers do with the continuity. He's been getting fussed at by uh, Stephon Diggs or ghosted by Stephon Diggs all offseason. Um, just kind of been hearing about chemistry issues and leadership and, oh, Brian Dave was gone. He's returning back to his turnover ways. And there's just a lot of stuff um, happening that they are um, going to have to work through in Buffalo. But they are doing their absolute best, like I said, and they're going to have to get through it. But I think they win this game, start the Jets off, and they're kind of a season of, mem- of misery with a bunch of underperforming. Um, you know, I think they're going to underperform pretty – they're going to underperform and, uh, with the Jets. They're going to be an, an A-win team, uh, which is going to put a lot of people under a lot of scrutiny. Um, but ultimately, I think that the Bills will win this game, um, and they will take care of the Jets. Um, and finally, Justin Fields, a lot of people's popular MVP choice for some reason. Um, Justin Fields trying to save his job right now. And I was thinking in my head, how many wins does it take for him not to be replaced? And it pretty much is how you feel about Shadour Sanders. Because Caleb, they won't get to Caleb Williams. They won't probably get to Drake May. But when you start getting to that third quarterback on the board, is how do you feel about a Shadour Sanders? How do you feel about uh, Joe Milton? How do you feel about a Jaden Daniels? Things of that nature. Um, these guys, how do you feel about a Michael Penix? Um, et cetera. How do you feel about a Bo Nix? You know, there's plenty of guys out there. Um, once you get around, like I said, that 10th, 12th pick, I think the, I think the Bears are going to win some games, not just because they're that good, because that division's so poor, uh, porous. And winnable now, pretty much. Diana Rod is dominating for the Packers. Um, but that is all I have for this segment. And we're going to switch into our NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack.
Welcome back in to the show. And now we are transitioning into our NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. Um, as you guys know, we pick five games every week against the spread. Um, using the ESPN app for their betting lines whenever I get them, when I get the numbers. Um, so that's who we are. We use our app with. So if you guys get a number similar to this, um, I'll tell you numbers I'm comfortable betting with uh, or how I think the score is going to go. And you can kind of deem that if you want to tease the lines to get better odds or to not have to give any juice into the number, that sort of thing. Uh, but you're going to do whatever you need to do to get the line as best you would. I'll give you guys how my bet is according to the ESPN line and also probably what I feel like is going to also my prediction of what's going to happen. And so that way you, you guys can tease the line up if you need to. But again, we are in our NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. Uh, we're going to keep a running total of you know the games this year. Um, so 17 times 5 of uh, the 85 games. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a good math. 85 games. Oh, we have a total. Uh, the goal is to go 50. To be a professional better, you need to go 50. I think it's three and a half percent, or 54 and a half percent, something like that. No, 56. I'm sorry. If you fit 56 percent of your bets, you're you will be labeled as a professional gambler. Um, a professional gambler ability. They hit about 55 to 58 percent of their bets. So 56 is the the benchmark number you want to hit. Last year we were under 50 percent. Year one we did this. We were about 54 percent. Um, and so not quite the professional gamble level just yet, but year three of this, I'm expecting a big turnaround, uh, this year, uh, week one and two are always the harder weeks, weeks 16 and 17 are always tough. Usually weeks three to 15, you kind of make your money if you're good at this, uh, because we 22 early season guys come out of training camp injuries, early season IR week 16 and 17 guys are shutting it down um you know unexpected bingings it, it's, a, it's a really weird time period uh in the first two weeks and the last two weeks so those numbers and those lines can be really odd because people are expected to sit that don't sit people sit they weren't expected to sit um it's pretty it's a pretty wild situation um and so anyway we're into jack's pack we're in the week one um i actually liked a lot of the numbers this week, it was a pretty solid week as far as numbers. Um, so, again, if you get some of these numbers around the same area, uh, some of these uh, teams, I'm just going to have them winning outright. Uh, but the first game, and they're in no particular order in terms of how I like them. Uh, they're all, to me, one-unit bets. Uh, by unit bets, I mean, like, if you are a $20 gambler, um, you bet $20. If you are a... Um, $100 gambler, you bet $100. You, you know what I'm saying? These are all one-unit bets. There will always be one-unit bets for Jack's Pack. Just to, just so it would be a running total. If you would have bet one unit every week on every single game, when would you break even? How would you break even, etc. But anyway, so then the first game up is Texans at Ravens. Ravens minus 9.5. Take the Ravens. Um, the Ravens are going to come out there with a potent passing attack, I think. Uh, a lot of stuff going sideways just to get Lamar some kind of layup style throws. Get Rashad Bateman, get uh, Odell if he plays in space. No Mark Andrews. They're gonna have a good run game. That O line is going to run the ball. Of course, Lamar is there, ready to roll. He believes in the offense, and I just think C.J. Stroud is gonna struggle in his first game. Usually, rookies either play amazing or they play horrible in their first game. I think he's gonna go on the bad side. He's gonna throw a couple of picks, including one rough pick six. 
um, and the Ravens cover. Uh, although they'll probably cover barely, I've got them winning uh, 27 to 13. Number two, Bucks at Vikings. Vikings minus five. Take the Vikings. I'm not sure why this line is five points. Nothing about the Bucks offense suggests that they're going to score more than 17 points at a consistent basis. Um, and nothing about the Vikings offense suggests that they're going to score anything less than 24 points on a consistent basis. I don't understand why this line is five points. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings did not have the world's best defense, but the Tampa Bay Buccaneers definitely do not have the world's best defense. And the Kirk Cousins, uh, Justin Jefferson, uh, Jordan Addison, um, and the rest of that crew is a little bit, is a lot more dangerous than Baker Mayfield, Mike Evans, and Chris Gallo. I mean, the weapons are there for Tampa, right? But the motivation, Mike Evans doesn't have a contract yet. Uh, Baker Mayfield is not that good at the sport. Um, so there's just um, so many things working against the Bucks here. So Vikings by a touchdown is very, very plausible. Jags minus four and a half at Colts. Again, another one of those lines I just don't understand. The Colts started a rookie quarterback. It's his first game. It's at home. Anthony Richardson was inaccurate in college. He was inaccurate in the preseason. Now he's going to go up against the Prince that was promised with the new addition in Calvin Ridley. I think they're going to win by multiple touchdowns. So the line being less than one touchdown um, suggests that Vegas is going to, again, that first couple of weeks in Vegas, they're trying to figure out football again themselves. Um, so I just think the Jags are going to win by multiple touchdowns, which means they'll easily cover the four-and-a-half-point spread, um, and they will take down the Colts. Uh, we have a bit, a bit of breaking news into the show. Uh, Israel Adesanya was defending his uh, undisputed middleweight title, and Sean Strickland whooped him by unanimous decision um, to become the undisputed middleweight champion at UFC 293. I repeat, Sean Strickland defeats Israel Adesanya by unanimous decision to become the undisputed middleweight champion uh, at UFC 293. Um, usually champions does don't lose the belt by decision. Um, so Strickland dominated the fight from start to finish um, and left the judges no choice but to award him um, the belt. But anyway, um, yeah, I said the Jags are going to run away and hide from the Colts. Um, it's a division game. Yes, it's in Indianapolis. Um Based on my schedule picking system, I count this as the L for Jacksonville. I just think that the Colts may not score more than 17 points. And so you're just daring Trevor Lawrence score 23, which to me feels very, very likely. Um, so Trevor Lawrence uh, and the Jags cover the four and a half against the Colts. Uh, the Packers plus one at the Bears hammer the Packers here. If there was going to be a, actually, we're going to do the locks. We're going to add locks to our segment. Um, and so the locks are two unit bets. These are bets I am very confident in. Uh, these are bets that we're going to have our own individual section in the record card. Lock in Packers plus one at the Bears. The Packers are winning this game outright. So, of course, they're going to get more than one point. Because a one point spread is simply who wins the game. Um... Because you I mean well, it's a one point spread, so it's simply who wins the football game. I mean, twenty. There's no real likely um, one point scores. You know, twenty twenty to one. But for the most part, this is going to win the game. 
I think the Packers are going to win the game outright. So them being the underdog, I would bet this game outright. I think Packers are the lock here. Um, and so I would definitely go with the Green Bay Packers. And then last but certainly not least, the NFC East uh, has their first major contest of the season. You have the Cowboys at the Giants. The Giants plus three and a half. Take the Giants. Now, this line was interesting to me because I think it's almost perfect. It's just plus three. I stay away from it. But I think the Cowboys are going to win this game by about three points. And then they're going to win something like 27-24, um, and which would cover because the Giants is three and a half. Again, this is one of those games where if you get it, if you see it at three or less, don't touch it. To be honest, if you see it at three and a half, I probably wouldn't touch it uh, for most people. But if you see it at four, I'd hammer it because I think this game is going to be a 27-24 kind of game. Um, and I just think that the Giants are going to lose it, but they're going to cover the three and a half. Um, so, again, just to recap it, it is Texans at Ravens. Ravens minus nine and a half. Take the Ravens. Bucks at Vikings. Vikings minus five. Take the Vikings. Jags at Colts. Jags minus four and a half. Take the Jags. Packers plus one at the Bears. Take the Packers. Cowboys at Giants plus three and a half. Take the Giants. But up next, we're going to shift into Jack's hot take, which is going to be a take on college football. jumping into Jack's hot take. As you guys know, this segment used to be called Best for Last, where I would take some kind of personal liberties on the topic and kind of talk about something that I thought you guys may be interested in, something I definitely was interested in for sure. We have since rebranded this last segment into Jack's hot take, where I just give you guys a strong take on one of the topics that's going on in the sports world. Um, and the big topic is college football. Um, and so the, my hot take is that Dion primetime coach prime sanders is i got two takes this week actually i have coach prime being college football savior and i believe the the reign of terror by nick saban is officially over and i think that not only is nick saban's reign of terror over he's not even a threat anymore so let's start off with saban first and we'll end it with Dion. Saban was summarily defeated tonight uh, by uh, Steve Sarkeesian, 34-24 in, in uh, Tuscaloosa. And honestly, the game wasn't as close as the score suggested. Uh, a couple of Texas miscues, uh, a couple of Texas fixes, and they're 40-something 24. Um, you know, Nick Saban, his last nine games versus former assistants are 4-5. and five. Before that, he was 24-0. and 0. Um, he, he's just lost to me his ability. He's got Jalen Milrow starting, um, who's not the level of quarterback that they've been growing accustomed to at Alabama. He was, what, 14 or 27 tonight. Um, two pretty bad interceptions. Um, and so he's not the level of quarterback that they are used to in Alabama, especially as of recently. When they're used to Heisman winners, they're used to number one overall picks. 
that he's a national championship level quarterbacks. He is none of those things. He will never be any of those things. And we knew that in the offseason. And so, I think that Saban's going to have to make a choice at quarterback. But no one fears them. It's an era now where, you know, good offense beats good defense. And so, now that that is flipped, a guy like Saban, who would love to play every game in the phone booth and just fight it out and scrap it out uh, amongst, you know, the big guys in the middle and not really worried about trying to scheme everything open and, you know, people still using double tight and uh, H-backs and kind of old school football. And now everybody's going five wide, finding your weak corner and exploiting them. Um, and so I just think that Nick Saban's recruiting stronghold is fading or faded. Uh, I think he's lost, finally lost too much of the infrastructure. Kirby Smart, you know, is at Georgia. He, uh, he his Bama staff, I think it was in 2015, has seven current FBS head coaches on it. You know, it's just his strength coach left him with Georgia. There's there's so much infrastructure that he has to replace every single year. And I think that Saban's finally run out of gas um, and trying to be able to pull the magic string every time. Uh, so I think that um, ultimately uh, his reign of terror is over in the SEC. And college ball in general. But, in more positive news, Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, prime time, and his Colorado Buffaloes are 2-0 after controlling and fairly dominating the Nebraska Cornhuskers, especially in the second half, because uh, Nebraska was in a war with them in the first half, um, and they were really battling in the first half. And then um, Nebraska, I think, hit the, hit the, cross, the upper end of the field goal, and... That was pretty much it. Nebraska began to roll. Not Nebraska, sorry. Colorado began to roll after that. Um, but my, my my take on this is that Coach Prime is college football savior. College football didn't have a face. It didn't have that person that you really wanted to sit down and interview and talk with. They didn't have that big personality kind of necessary to help run a team. You know, there's got to be a big personality when you're happy, big personality when you're sad, big personality when you're angry because of what you don't want. Um, is for you to be flat all the time and then something bad happens and now you're up in your energy and you're angry uh, that kind of gets most people to shut down and so Deion Sanders is really good at always providing energy always having the media always having the merchandise always having everything they can need because he doesn't want them to get um, pulled out of the portal by a major conference now Colorado's going to the major conference next year um but just an absolutely massive win. I think he's uh, college football savior because for two weeks in a row, Big Noon kickoff has had his game with his face with their countdown ready to go for him. Um, he's, he brought it so much into the HBCUs when he was there um, at Jackson State. He brought so much into the HBCUs. I'm still seeing his impact with names on the back of jersey. You know, that was not a thing before Dion got to Jackson State and it was like, we can't afford to put a kid's name on the darn jersey. Um, you know, his mom and them want to see his name on the back of the jersey, you know. So there was stuff that he definitely helped improve on um, for, for the HBCUs. And now he's looking to do that for black coaches at the FBS level, uh, trying to get as many uh, opportunities for African-American coaches at the, at the level. But who's the main, you know, what's the main story in college football? It's Dion. You know, it's Colorado. 
they won two games this year. That's twice the win total they had last year. The only people they beat last year was Nebraska. So, you know, c- congratulations uh, to the uh, Colorado Buffaloes. I mean, their season just started, obviously, but they have already exceeded a lot of expectations by beating TCU, and now they just double down on it by taking care of Nebraska. Uh, they have Colorado State next week. Should be an easy contest. Um, and then they move right into um, Oregon, I believe, which will be the first big, big, big showdown. I mean, TCU was huge because of, you know, Deion's first game, et cetera. But Oregon's in the conference. So that'll be the first conference big, big showdown of their uh, Colorado team. But I just think Deion is college football savior. If he's as energetic as he is all the time, if he's pushing for the stuff he's pushing for, uh, even after his son's leave, I believe that Dion is um, college football savior. But uh, that is all I have for you guys today. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your weekend, your Sunday. Watch some NFL. It's our first full day um, of real football from noon or 1 if you're on the East Coast and 10 if you're on the West Coast to all the way through the night. You know, and it's just, it, it's, it's a wonderful feeling to have football back because now everything um, runs through the lens and runs through the prism of football content so uh I, again i appreciate all you guys sticking around uh this don't forget to follow the social media pages turn on post notifications and don't forget to like rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts this is your host justin jackson signing out